0: of Germ Syllabus. And I generally have opened with a little bit of what we've been up to and then just share some thoughts about this week's theme before we open the floor. And this week's theme is Generation Surveilled." So we're thinking about the spread of spyware tech and specifically young adults and their experience with that. Just in terms of how this all started, we started two weeks ago with... Talking about the hashtag syllabus movement. And we had a guest, Professor Sherry Williams, who shared her research on the black syllabus movement and the ways that um black academics and activists turned Twitter into a teach-in around events like the shooting in Charleston and cultural moments like Beyoncé's Lemonade. And I talked about how I framed germ syllabus within that tradition. Because women of colors and girls of colors experiences are really at the center of how I understand ethical tech. And then last week, we talked about bias and misogyny in the foundations of the internet, another very chill week. And I talked about UCLA scholar Sophia Noble's work, especially her book, Algorithms of Oppression. And we also talked about the movie, The Social Network and thought about the ways that surveillance of women was foregrounded in these early web 2.0 behemoths. Like Sophia Noble's book is really about Google. And then the social network, of course, is about Facebook. And I'll just remind everyone that this is really a course, but it's totally open. So you can come, you know, however you are. All of the materials that I'll mention tonight are up on Discord and we're here on Twitter every Tuesday night and we also hang out in Discord voice chat on Friday afternoons and we have lots of spaces for chatting in Discord as well. A little bit more about us, Germ Network is social media built to empower you through our design as well as our technology. We are building this community to stay accountable to future users, to learn what folks depend on and are missing, and to share our perspective on how we're approaching social media and messaging. I'm Tessa Brown. I was a digital literacy expert at Stanford before leaving to found this company, and Brett is my co-founder, and he is an awesome UX designer, and he is here as well. So just a bit about this week's theme and i'll just talk for a couple a few more minutes. This week's theme is generation surveilled and for this week i mostly collected newspaper articles in addition to one sort of trust and safety blog post that instagram posted just to kind of draw our attention to the kinds of surveillance technology that young adults and really all of us are increasingly surrounded by. Um, I'll summarize them a little bit and then we can just chat about our experiences with these and other technologies and I also shared the articles in a thread that I just posted to this this spaces thread pinned thread and they're all in our discord as well which is in my bio and germs twitter bio also so the first article that I shared is from NPR from this year. And it's called, or here's a sentence from that article, a federal judge this week sided with a student at Cleveland State University in Ohio, who alleged that a room scan taken before his online test as a proctoring measure was unconstitutional. So that's just an article that covers the rise of remote proctoring software with remote learning from COVID and the ways that young adults privacy is being invaded by this software. The fact that your home now needs to be visible to school. And, you know, this case is really interesting because the the university lost. Um, he actually, you know, sued his school. The school said that it wasn't a search because it wasn't looking for evidence of criminality, which I found was really interesting because, There's a kind of criminal or carceral logics that are at play when you are making sure that they're not cheating, right? So they are looking for a kind of infraction. So I was thinking about the ways that we're all sort of subject to prison logics now as these surveillance technologies expand, because they did, a lot of them originate in prison industrial contexts. Another article that I shared is a couple years older from 2019 from the Washington Post, it was, the title was colleges are turning students' phones into surveillance machines, tracking the locations of hundreds of thousands of students. And it talks about beacons and smartphone apps that are tracking students' movement and attendance all over campuses. The article did a good job raising, you know, both sides of the debate. The schools say that it supports students and it helps the school intervene if things are wrong, but students and experts say that it's infantilizing, that it's invasive, that it's unnecessary, and also something that resonates with our research was the sense of powerlessness that students were describing. I also noticed that one of the st- The CEOs in the article, the chief executive of this company called Spotter EDU, who is a former basketball coach, I mean, this is crazy. He founded the app in 2015 as a way to watch over student athletes, except that there's currently a restraining order against him from the athletic department at DePaul, where he used to work because he had abuse allegations against one of his colleagues. So that just to me draws out these themes of like who is driving these surveillance measures and do we really want them shaping these technologies that we all live under? And we see similar things from parents too, because there was a quote from a parent in that article that said, like speaking to the school, I just cut you a $30,000 check and I can't find out if my kid's going to class or not. So I'm seeing these tensions between just the, the desire for surveillance and these kind of spyware logics that are spreading like into schools, into family relationships. And I really want to you know, question that and talk about that together tonight. Welcome, Lucid, what's up? Just talking about the articles that I have gathered for us this week. So that was two newspaper articles about proctoring software and campus surveillance software. The next thing I shared was an Instagram blog post written or, you know, ghostwritten, whatever, by um, Adam Maseri, who's the CEO of Instagram. And it's about, let me see what the article is actually called, introducing, it's called Introducing Family Center and Parental Supervision Tools on Instagram and in VR. And it's from March of 2022. And I just think it's interesting that the article begins with this line: "quote Parents and guardians know what's best for their teens." Um, I'm thinking specifically around debates for ent- debates around end-to-end encryption and the ways that some folks are saying that end-to-end encryption is dangerous because nobody can know, you know, what teens are doing if their parents can't see everything. Um, But then a lot of especially queer activist groups have said that a lot of parents are sources of danger for their queer teens and actually privacy is really important. So I feel like that's kind of what's on my mind tonight is that tension. But here are some of the things that parents can do when their kids enable the parental supervision tools. They can view how much time their teens spend on Instagram and set time limits. They can be notified when their teen shares that they've reported someone. And they can view and receive updates on what accounts their teens follow and the accounts that follow their teens. I'll also share that I was commenting on a post on LinkedIn this week by a guy talking about Kind of what he was noticing with his daughter and her friends about the app Life360 being used more extensively among her friends and her friends' families, and sometimes really coercively, like good, responsible kids whose parents are forcing them to use Life360, which is like a location tracking app, among other things. I'm also hearing a lot about stalking via various products that are marketed towards parents. So, like, that's almost a socially acceptable kind of surveillance. Parents, spy on your kids. But then, you know, partners are using it often non-consensually with their other partners, you know, between adults. The last sort of core article that I shared this week was a op-ed that came out not too long ago by two Harvard researchers, Emily Weinstein and Carrie James, And that piece was called What Adults Don't Get About Teens and Digital Life. And that was a really wonderful op-ed that I'm much more philosophically aligned with, I guess, that discusses teens' digital communication with a lot more nuance, with a lot more actually mental health and psychological grounding than we usually see. And I was thinking about abstinence-only education, they didn't use this term but the way they were they were cautioning parents, you know, we usually just say don't sext ever or no bullying, which is a kind of abstinence style of education, right? You can we only tell them don't do it. But that's not really meeting the demands of like the complexity of young adults' lives because texting is integral to their social lives, right? So it's not just about don't do this, don't do that. You can't say that for other non-digital behaviors. And you can't say that for digital behaviors too, right? Kids need tools to navigate their lives and their choices, including their digital choices, with agency. And that's something that we've been thinking a lot about at Germ as well. Some things that Weinstein and James talk about are Teens need the ability to set boundaries with technology and around technology, including technology use, like being able to make decisions about whether it's necessary in certain situations or whether they maybe want to put their phone away. They need the ability to say no if someone's pressuring them, which is obviously an offline skill as well, whether that's sending nudes, joining in bullying, right? Kids need the ability to set boundaries, And also, they need to be empowered to use these tools to make friends and to support each other's goals. So I just really, really liked that article. And I think um, it's part of a book that they have coming out. And then I I shared a couple more articles in Discord. Um, I'll just read what the titles are. One is from Vice Motherboard and... What's the title? A tool that monitors how long kids are in the bathroom is now in a thousand American schools. It's called E-Hall Pass, so that's dystopian. Another chill piece that I gathered for us from Business Insider is about the amount of suicide happening among Gen Z and just the crisis of loneliness among Gen Z, which to me felt relevant because privacy is really a mental health issue i think on some level and then the last piece that i added was from the hollywood reporter from not too long ago from august and the headline is senator slams amazon's ring nation as surveillance state tv and here's the subtitle the trillion dollar conglomerate's new show based on user clips from digital doorbell division ring and hosted by wanda sykes is blasted by privacy advocates and Democrat Ed Markey. This is no America's Funniest Home Video. So those are some pieces that are on my mind tonight as I'm thinking about the rise of spyware in our lives, the rise of spyware in our educational institutions, the rise of spyware in our intimate relationships, in our families, in our romantic relationships, And I'm also thinking about, you know, a lot of these articles are about the dark side of these technologies, but I'm also thinking about, you know, what are the ways that folks want to use these technologies? What would it look like to be empowered with location sharing? What would it feel like to be, you know, empowered with access to webcams in an educational setting? You know, it's not all dystopian. So I'm interested for you guys, if you're noticing more spyware in your own life or other young adults that are in your lives. And we've also been talking on the Discord this week about what do we do to, prevent, to protect our digital lives or our digital privacy or our IRL privacy as well. So I have said plenty. I'm going to stop. Let's, let's chat. Let's chat about Generation Surveilled. What's on y'all's minds tonight?
1: Yeah, that was a good summary of all the readings that uh, we had this week. Um, I it was interesting when I was reading, uh, like all the readings, um, or the the f- first two at least. It was just interesting because they kind of they were talking about how like they have tracking devices so that they can t- like uh, teachers can tell can tell when a student is like skipping class because they can like track a computer activity and if they're not there in class they'll know that they're like they're not there, uh which was just like it's just and like (laughs) they even like quoted a professor who was like gleefully like excited about that fact, which was just strange to me. And then there was also another part where like I forget which article it said but well the, oh, there was is two parts one was that there was a quote in there that said training them to see surveillance as a normal part of living um which just stuck out to me because like it's just like you know in a way it, it is true and like i remember i i listened to a podcast a couple of weeks ago about like work because of the pandemics stuff there are workplaces that are also like keeping track of um, how much time people work on the computer. And, and then it's like, they were like, this podcast was just explaining that like, it can be good because it can help you like be more productive because you're like forced to do it this way. But on the other hand, it's like you're forcing people to work and that's, that's not good. And like, and also like sometimes like your work doesn't always have to involve the computer so it's just it's just strange that they do it that way the other thing that they uh, the these articles mentioned was a uh, gamifying student schedules with colorful bit emojis or digital multi-day streaks just like they do on Snapchat or just like just on texting and it's just, like, that felt very much like you're. they're trying to, like, cater towards college students and, and like, you know, that's just, like, or, like, they're trying to, like, they're trying too hard to be cool kind of thing, um, if that makes sense. And it's just, like, it, it just felt, like, it just seemed off to me that they were, like, trying to make it, like, oh, this is fun. Like, we're, <laughs> we're tracking your How data. fun!
0: You're spying but, on my every move.
1: Right. So it's, like, you know, it was just interesting just from the standpoint that like, yes, of course you want to like have attendance. You want to have more people paying attention to your classes and like, you know, and the same thing can apply for workplaces and um, pretty much anything. But like at the same time, it's just, do we really need to gamify everything? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. And it's just, or it, it and it's just scary because it's... Uh, Like first they came for this one thing and I said nothing and then they take away more freedoms and then it's like a bigger deal. So it's like it's just going to escalate to like all of our privacy is going to be uh, taken away Um, the more that this is okay So it's just it's like weird that like, you know, I guess this technology is cool, but it's just it's also just very scary if it gets too far um, and then, lastly, before I ask for um, other people to speak, but because um, I did really like that that third article, the "What Adults Don't Get About Teens and Digital Life," I found it interesting how they like uh, they divided it between personal agency and collective agency, whereas like personal agency is one of those. Things where it's like you're they're more like decision making type things like uh, you like having go to language to respond to a snap from a romantic interest asking for a nude or like to kindly set a boundary with them who's like just from a friend who's annoying them um, versus like a collective agency. And that's just more like, you know, you have like a group of people talking to each other about like oh this guy's a creep don't talk to him this guy asks for nudes don't talk to him and I felt like you know it it just took me back to that study that focus group that we had of like that is like kind of what those girls did with they like they shared I I guess I don't want to get into too much detail because I guess we did promise them to to keep that private but
0: Mm, but I it, think it, we it, just it, promised to keep their identities private. <laughs>
1: okay, fair, fair okay. That's
0: our data now. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I get okay, fair, fair enough. I, I guess, I don't even know their names, so fair enough. But, anyways, it just reminded me of that that aspect of it, where not that like they they mentioned that they were asking about around about like guys or like nudes or anything, but it was more about you know, if a picture was okay to post on Instagram and they kind of, like, vet each other's photos uh, to their friend group before they post on Instagram. Um, So that was just interesting, just to, like, have that, like, personal agency or collective agency or just, like, making... Not not necessarily, like, forcing teens to think about their decision-making on the Internet because that stuff is permanent, but it's more just, I, I feel like, there needs to be more of that there needs to be more promotion of of that stuff because teens are like you know they they are new as adults and you know they need to like they need to have that type of you know the decision making stuff they have to consider that that aspect of it so so i think there there is that aspect
0: i loved Uh, that article
1: yeah, no, know. It's a great article. Like I like I could like it, it's very reflective of what we've talked about in all our meetings as well. So I, I really like that one. And uh, yeah, I guess maybe we could like we should probably share that article to um, everyone eventually. But yeah, yeah I'll read had...
0: it again right now as well.
1: OK, great. Um, yeah. If, um, but yeah, if anyone if you had to read one of these articles this week, that would be the article to read. So I, I will bring it up to Lucid or Luke-a-lot, um. if you have anything to say or about what was just discussed or if you did any of the readings. Yeah, feel free to, to make a request to speak. Hello. Hey. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Hi again, Tessa. Yeah, this is, this is very interesting to me. I'm, I'm kind of in the demographic that you're talking about. I'm a young adult. Uh, I'm 19, actually and I do care a lot about privacy. I have friends who I talk about internet privacy to, and it's, there's, a, there's a wide range of how much people seem to care about it. I feel like it's important, but it's, it's the sort of thing where it's a, everything you do is sort of like a tiny drop in a bucket of this massive amount of sort of data that you've already leaked onto the internet. And so there's a kind of, the transactions you're making of like, okay, you get my data while i'm browsing this um, I, in return i get to like consume this content and stuff are usually ones that are easy to like fall into and there's not a lot of way to like to escape that when it comes to actual surveillance i'm pretty concerned about some of the instances that you were mentioning earlier and and would you know if i were interacting with an environment that required using those i'd try to avoid them as much as possible i'm interested in what you think we can do to help guide surveillance based applications and and where we could possibly improve the situation and kind of like move away if they're getting a little bit too um scary is it just like spreading information about them kind of like through this medium right now or is there anything else that we can do or is your product like is germ a good solution
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm really glad you're here and I'm interested, you know, to hear more about what you're navigating. I mean, I think about this as a founder and I think about this as an educator and I think about this as an activist. And I have a kind of different like answers from each lens, although I guess I'm an activist educator and an activist CEO as well. So always leaning towards like we do have the power to create change through collective organized action. I mean, something that I noticed in one of the articles, the one about the um, the spread of beacons and tracking apps on campuses, they shared one case of the deployment of one of those apps at West Virginia University, I believe, and all the kids found out about it like two weeks before school started, and the opt-out link went viral on campus, and they had like a fifty percent opt-out rate, <laughs> um, which like laughs in privacy tech. So I think there's always, you know, those opportunities. It's I mean, I'm thinking about something Brett said as well about, you know, first they came for, it was actually first they came for the trade unionists, then they came for the communists, then they came for the Catholics. But, you know, in the United States, like, first they came for criminalized populations. First they came for people that were imprisoned and people that were undocumented, people that are doing sex work or dealing drugs, like these technologies were developed for people that we thought of as criminals. And I think it's already has escalated to the point that it's being used, you know, in families, in schools with kids that are above ground. And this kind of assumption of like, everyone could be doing something wrong at any time. So kind of on a sad, you know, on a sad note, I mean, I think the theme of this first few weeks of this course have been like, you have to face the truth to change the world. That's really my energy in general. So like, let's just face head on and face the fact that we're pretty far along in the adoption of these technologies. I think COVID has really accelerated them. And that's something that I talk about, you know, in my pitching. And when I talk about germ is like, if everything that you're doing at school or at work is online, there's with our current state of technology, there's no privacy because the default pro, like software is all functionally spyware, right? So there's no one, if you just communicate with your colleagues on Zoom and on Slack, there's nowhere to talk to them that like the boss can't have access to. And it's the same with school technologies. I think going back more closely to what you were saying, Luca, you know, with germ, I mean, I I guess I came to the conclusion studying this stuff that part of the activism that had to be done was in entrepreneurship and making different kinds of products where, you know, the default was not surveillance tech. But I also think just to your point about, you know, how you and your friends feel about this, like when we have done our user interviews, we have also found that a lot of young adults don't care that much about privacy per se, or they don't care about privacy in like a generalized sense, like, oh, the government might spy on me or I'm being tracked. You know, what they care about is control and like visibility into what's happening in their actual meaningful relationships. So like, did my friend look at this? Did so-and-so download this? Can my parents read my emails? Can my teacher read my chats with my friends on my school laptop? I mean, I'm interested to hear, you know, your sense of your friend's perspective or your perspective, but... That's what we're really seeing in our interviews and I feel like it's almost me as like an older person and a person that has more of the broader political context that's like I really care about creating a product that gives people privacy by default even if you don't care about it so that you don't have to worry about it. And if one day, because usually if you start worrying about your privacy, whatever you're worried about already (laughs) happened and is already splayed across your data streams and it's too late, you know? And so I want people to be onboarded into something that is built for them, that's easy, that gives them control in their digital lives, that keeps their data private unless and until they want to share it. But I think, I mean, we were also talking in the Discord today about, you know, another Discord member shared, or I shared, and then another Discord member commented, um, I think this was in the end-to-end encryption channel, because a big nonprofit just pushed an open letter demanding that, like, all of the big tech firms encrypt end-to-end encrypt DMs. And I kind of, cynically was like well that's never gonna happen (laughs) and then someone in the discord reminded me like yeah it's an activism tactic to write an open letter and then show what people will or won't do and i was like yes you're right so you know as they said in our discord like you have to use different tactics to get the result and they're all they're all valid and spiel
2: i think i missed that message on the discord but that's very interesting it's um,
0: in um hashtag e two ee.
2: Oh okay, I have been checking this once in a while.
0: Yeah, what are you thinking about anything that I
2: ah just yeah? Said? Um, I, so I care a lot about privacy. I think I'm in like a, a high percentile there. Um, I use a VPN. I often will like will will avoid software if I feel like it's not you know respecting my privacy properly. And I do have some friends that are like that, but in general, I agree. Most of them don't don't care very much. I think it's weird to to like kind of avoid uh, certain things on the internet if you feel like they're not privacy oriented. And I feel like that's because it is like the cost you're paying is low, and it's more like a general thing that's happening among like a bunch of your peers and like the world at large. That's that's going to be the larger problem, I think, than your individual privacy. Usually, that seems to be be how it feels to most of them. And, and I feel like that's important, but it is difficult to kind of reason out to what degree you want to like make that trade off. And, and there's like a cost that comes with, with privacy oriented software, which is like, you're spending all this time and effort building these privacy features. And now you can't like invest that into, into building something else that some other app might build. And so the pitch of it being a privacy based product, that's like, that's what you get. For that trade-off is that now you have a privacy-based product you can like appeal to that demographic and so it almost feels like growing the demographic is important so that you know so that that trade-off works And i think the demographic is already there and it's like big and so but but it also makes me feel like to be an ideal product for people who don't care about privacy right now you kind of like have to them to understand a little bit about privacy um this is true for i think generally privacy software and, and I'm hoping that there's, like, avenues to spread information about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're having, like, a tiny little group right now. But I had my wonderful lecture. So I clearly am, like, more developed as an educator than a growth marketer right now. But I'm definitely interested in the educational aspect. I think it's part of this movement, Just like any, you know, I mean, even in the last few weeks in the series, we've just been talking about, you know, the movies, the social network and the social dilemma. Like, I think there's a lot of education that has happened, just public education in the last few years about how the platforms that we use every day really work and how dangerous they are. And I hope that will continue.
2: Unfortunately, I have to dip because I have to go somewhere. Um, But I really enjoyed this. I'll watch the rest of the recording. And I'm yeah you guys continue
0: thanks for hanging out
1: thank you um yeah i appreciate all the the stuff oh, that you said
2: <laughs> yeah thanks yeah. yeah um i will see you guys later see a brett see a tessa Lucy, see you. who hasn't spoken yet but i'm sure will see ya
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: hi hey <laughs> I was actually about to chime in too. I was just, I was just, everybody was saying a, a lot of good points, but something that uh, I think Tessa had said something and it, it reminded me, basically something, something said was reminded me of, so my mother works at a high school. She works at my old high school from time to time, you know, she has like tasks like jobs that aren't really hers to do, but my mother gets bored really fast and easily. So she'll take on more work than she should. So, um, there was, I forgot what situation there was, but she had borrowed a laptop from the school to do something. And the security, well, not the security software, but you know, like the stuff that they put on there to lock it down so that the kids don't mess with it. She didn't have any sort of access to get past that, really. She just had enough access to use like Microsoft Office and some other things that she needed to install something and it wouldn't let her. I forgot what it was. And I checked and so just for context, the computer was, uh, I think, Windows 8, and it had, like, McAfee security software installed or something, or one of those brands, and Windows 8 has a built-in antivirus. It has, like, built-in, like, everything that they needed to install, and it was, like, the thing that annoyed me for, for like, for years, even when I was in the school, was that the Board of Ed, like, kind of sticks to their guns, so, like, even if if technology gets newer, they'll find a way to cram their, like, the thing they know into it. Yes. And... The, the thing that got annoying was eventually, I don't remember what happened, but eventually the, the laptop actually got a virus. And I told my mom, I'm like, yo, McAfee is ridiculous to put on here because Windows has its own antivirus. It's better to just let Microsoft handle it. Plus, they're like the highest rated for like Windows, you know, for obvious reasons. It basically what happened is the computer had a virus and it was too locked down for me to ever fix it. And it just didn't solve whatever problem they thought it was solving in the first place. So now you just have a computer where you're not allowed to remove the virus. It just is like destroying itself. And and I just feel like with all the privacy stuff, like the first thought in my head was a lot of these things are going to end up having a lot of unintended consequences where they're like, yeah, you see, now we'll get the kids to do the work because we're monitoring them and blah, blah, blah. And knowing how I've like, like, I've talked with a lot of like, uh, uh, infosec types, you know, like people who, are, who are, that's their job to deal with, like, you know, security for, like, big companies and stuff like that. One of the biggest things that they they point out is like, human behavior is just like the number one part of the job. Like, you're, you're kind of herding sheep, you know, like, not to, you know, not to belittle the, the people in question, because it's, it's literally everybody, including the experts themselves. But it's like, you know, people's behavior is really the issue, like outside of this like technical thing where you think you can like monitor the number control them. It's like, you never really can. And my first thought was like, yeah, they're going to put all this stuff on the computers. And especially for like when the kids are working from home, you know I mean? You know, doing like schoolwork and stuff and what's going to end up happening is they're just going to grab a different device. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I can't, I can't picture a situation where they can perfectly. So it not only is it bad on a privacy sense, but it doesn't even accomplish anything like likely like you know what i mean like i doubt there's they're going to see any like numbers that is going to show like oh yeah look the kids are more productive now and it's like no they've just started to like build up new behaviors to get around your like panopticon you've built you know like it's it's like how in jail like people find ways to do things like like everybody in america damn near knows that people get jail tattoos mm-hmm. and like barely anybody even realizes that that's illegal in jail. You're not allowed to do stuff like that. But we all know that it's just like a thing that's a staple of being in jail. It's like, yeah, man, jail tattoos. They figure it out. People will figure it out. They don't want you to do it. They don't want you to be able to do it. But it's it's at a point now where it's a matter of just looking at how the the, the, the place is set up. It's like, it's kind of, you're kind of incentivized to break the rules past a certain point. You know, it's 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 like, like another example I can think of is I used to work... Uh, late nights at a uh, Macy's on 34th street like I was an overnight worker and um I'd have to take the six train all the way to the last stop to get home and one of the things that I remember was the they, they so cops in New York city they um they they have like a quota they had to hit of like tickets and things like that it's like a weird thing I'm not sure if it's if it's like still in place but it's a rule that everybody pretty much has an assumption it's still in place because the way they behave seems like it And when you're getting close to the last stop, like the second to last stop, there was a thing everybody noticed as a pattern was that cops would get on and start writing up tickets of people who were asleep on the train. And it became a a habit where like before we got to that that stop, people would wake up and then wake everybody else up on the train car just to help each other out so no one had any issues. Because we all knew like these are we're all overnight workers. You know, we could tell it's like there's no threat. There's nothing. They're just writing up tickets. So now we've built up a habit of doing something that like goes against what the city is trying to do. You know, it goes against the state. Like we're all just habitually, you know, not really breaking the law, but you know, whatever these like silly little rules, like don't sleep on a train, which is like harmless. And we all clearly don't agree with it. We're just like, screw it. Like we're going to help each other sleep on the train. Like we're going to help each other not get in trouble, not get caught. And that's how it, you know, like, people don't realize, like, how much, like, when you start in you, you start creating these things, you just, you're just you just creating unintended consequences. It, it's almost like the, the Cobra Effect, you know, where you just, uh, I don't know if, uh, if well, the, I, I can't remember why the Cobra Effect is called the Cobra Effect, but the, the biggest example I can think of is, I've got, it was some, I think, a South American country where they had, like, a, a rat problem or a mouse problem, and the local government said, hey you know if we need we need people to deal with this we don't have enough resources so if you bring us the tails of rats you've killed we'll give you money so what ended up happening is people started farming rats they would like cut the tail off and leave the rat alive and (laughs) and you know and then it's just like now you have a bigger rat problem (laughs) and I just I feel like that's like one of the biggest things when people start building these like surveillance states is like they don't realize you're building something else entirely I, I honestly don't know what, what what's needed to not do that. But that's, that's like one of the I just know, at least with surveillance, people's behaviors just change. You don't really stop the thing. You just change what people are doing. It's like you're not you're not getting rid of alcohol consumption. You're creating speakeasies. You know, yeah. and I, think that's, I, I think that's something that's that's not really thought about. Like, I'm, I'm 100% like against adding all of this stuff because I feel like you'll, you'll bear more fruit educating these kids by not creating some you know, by not putting cameras up. You know what I mean? It, you, the way you get them to 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 pass these classes is by, you know, making sure the teachers have the fucking supplies they need. <laughs> yeah, like I, I feel like outside of that, that this is gonna lead to some very interesting stuff where we're like, oh wow. Like oh one last one last example that just hit me and then I'll, you know, I'm not passing the mic is um
0: we got I remember reading
3: I remember reading an article about um kids in schools where the school was was you know really hammering down on like you know they were texting in classes or things like that they were trying to like get them to stop like doing things like that so of course you know these schools have like laptops and stuff because that's the norm now and the kids had to work on google docs so to get around the texting rules they would create a shared google document that they would send to all their friends and then just type in the documents and that was how they would like chat in classrooms. And it became something like bigger, like they would, when they went home to not get caught by the parents or anything, it just looks like they're writing essays all day. So they're just like constantly <laughs> chatting through Google Docs. And it, it was like an unintended side effect. You know, Google of course, didn't think of that use case. And then, you know, the schools didn't, you know, so it was this whole thing. And I just feel like that's, that's the type of stuff we're ending up, you know, that, that's what's gonna happen because it, it seems to always happen, and I don't, I don't know how the people don't see it, because it's like in just fiction it happens, you know, look at like Star Wars, like, like Andor is, is, is on now, and like, that's like half of the story of Andor is like everybody's behaving a certain way because they're in this fascist, like, police state that's, like, spanning multiple planets, so even though, like, the main characters are, like, doing the illegal thing and becoming a part of rebellion and stuff, the average people who are just like, hey, I'm just trying to get something to eat their their behaviors are just like rooted in what's now illegal you know it's just like a matter of time before like it catches up with you or or you know or you get lucky but it's like yeah you know i don't like now the way i buy hot dogs is like i do it the illegal way if you know it doesn't really make sense but it's just that's the culture now so i i think that's a i just i think that's like a big thing that's that isn't foreseen by the people getting so excited to put a camera everywhere
0: I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, it's reminding me of a lot of different references. But just basically, there's human truth that you can't put you can't turn people into robots like they just absolutely don't accept it. And they'll always find ways to self-express, be authentic and get their, you know, private people say that privacy is a human right. Right. Because it's a it's part of psychological well-being, you know, is to have some personal space once in a while Um, and different cultures negotiate this differently. And it doesn't mean the same in everywhere that it does here in America with our ideas of privacy and individualism. But it is a fact. It's very ancient. You know, people need space. People need privacy. People need boundaries and people always find ways to get their needs met you know, and people are very resilient. Um, I'm thinking about stuff from like the Tao Te Ching talks about stuff like this all the way to this book that is very beloved in contemporary rhetorical studies and also urban studies. Um, You might even like it lucid. It's this book called The Rhetorics of Everyday Life by a theorist named Michel de Certeau, a French man, Michel. And it's about the ways that Modernity is always trying to impose kind of order and control and surveillance on people, and people are always finding ways to subvert it. Whether and you just shared so many beautiful examples of this, but like whether Deserto talks about people in cities and the way that cities are this kind of literally Cartesian order of grid lines, but people always have, you know, their favorite shortcut. And their favorite back alley and their favorite little corner, or when it's at work and you're supposed to be, you know, and this goes back to what Brett was talking about that at work you're supposed to be always on the clock and doing what you're supposed to do. And then people take, you know, a special pleasure of like Xeroxing something for home at work or looking at, you know, something that's not work related on the work computer or just standing a little longer at the, Water cooler, talking to someone, or what you said about Google Docs. I mean, Brett and I were just talking in our meeting, I think yesterday, about how like teens have this reputation of being really, really high digital literacy. But I know from working very closely with them that they're actually not in like a generalized sense. What you said, Lucid, reminded me of my observation that what teens are is very aggressive about making sure that they can talk to their friends. And so... That's what they're going to do. They're going to find a way to hack some system to make sure that they can talk to their friends, whether it's, you know, passing notes was never allowed, and that worked fine. And probably if you took every single kid's phone away at school, they would be back to passing notes again. Like, teenagers want to talk to each other. It's the thing that they, I think, want most in the world, basically. Um, And whatever technological system or level or era we're talking about, they're going to find a way to do it. And like, this is what I was saying to Luca as well. They don't care about privacy, like from the government in an abstract way, but they certainly care about their mom or their teacher, you know, reading their stuff. And they're going to find a way to, or even their friend, right? Like, I mean, this is, traumatic high school memory but I remember in high school this girl thought I was reading her notes that she was asking me to pass to my other friend and she made a fake note that on the inside was like ha 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 I know you're reading our notes but like that even is a privacy tech moment you know just using paper and markers so like teens are always on top of protecting their boundaries and getting their messages to who they want to get them to and nobody else
1: it's, it's interesting how we or uh, like, there was, I think Tessa mentioned this a couple of minutes ago of um, how like teens don't care about privacy, even though they should. But like, I just remember when I was interviewing someone, she basically had this philosophy, I, I like the only reason why we should have focus our app on privacy is because like, if you're, you're doing something illegal, And since she's not doing anything illegal, like she doesn't find the need to be private or secretive. It's like, and then conversely it feels like sketchy because it's like, well, why do you need to be private if, if you're doing good things? Right. So there was that, there's that element of it, I I think. And I remember when I was a youngin, it's just weird to say, call myself a youngin, but, um, Like, I had that same kind of feeling, like, that I'm not, like, I'm not doing anything wrong, and there's nothing, so it's like, why should I care about my privacy, because it's not like I'm going to jail, like, they can, the government can look at my stuff, and that's still true, but then, you know, the more I've worked on germ, the more I've read all this stuff and watched different materials, you start to realize that, it's not necessarily that you're doing something illegal, or like you know it's it's not really about that. It's just you know you have to have control over what you share online, and that's privacy, and that like it's it like like yeah, a, a, like obviously, if you're doing something illegal, you do want you you'll want people to know what you're doing. But there's also that other element of websites I go to, like even though it's just mostly sports sites, like, yeah, I don't necessarily want people to know all all about my business. Um, so so there's that element. And it's also, I, I think like we, we didn't really touch on it, but I remember that there's like, um, you know, the Amazon Echo with the Alexa stuff. And that, that has always been creepy to me but the the fact that like the amazon echo can is kind of listening in on your conversations because they're particularly like listening in for you to say alexa play the the new taylor swift song or whatever and like but then all of a sudden they're they're listening in on you making your dinner plans or whatever
0: it's so creepy
1: Um, right and so I I, like it's it's now become like an inside joke because my family, my dad has it um, or bought it. um, And I, you know, I made a huge stink about it, but we still like, we still have it. And I guess like I just mentioned before, it's not like we're doing anything illegal, but I'm aware that like, I know that I'm like very paranoid when I say this, but like there could come a day when like Amazon has, all our information because they've been listening in on every single conversation me and my parents have ever had. I mean, not only that,
0: but sorry to interrupt, but did you see that Amazon bought Roomba and they're saying that Roomba has like the maps of inside your house?
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. There was also like, um, I forget there was, I don't know if it was Amazon, but I think there was like some standpoint where like, oh no I think it was Amazon um because I I also put up a stink on this but it happened last year where Amazon like you can give Amazon your blood and they can tell when you're like feeling sick or something it was like it may not be Amazon but it's just like some company is able to do that and it's just like that part just seems so creepy like I guess there is that like sense of control because it's like you, you can opt in and and you have to give them your blood um, so that they can tell when they're sick but just the whole like that whole like aspect of just I don't know it's just it seems so like crazy it's like you know sometimes we just have to like think for a second like why why is technology even like why do we even need all this stuff that we have technology um or like it like you know it's like one of those things that like we we stopped uh we never uh we thought that we sh- uh we could but we never thought of like if we should make something mm-hmm. you know, like that's like a common saying somewhere I probably butchered it but yeah anyways I just <laughs> just during that whole conversation that was all those things that were just percolating in my mind
3: and I guess I could call this like a freebie. I think a good marketing um campaign for uh, privacy-centric products would be uh, using people's embarrassing moments, because everybody's gonna think like, "Oh, I have nothing to hide." But it's like no one ever really wants to return to like some sort of embarrassing moment again in their here, life. You know? It's, like, it's sort of like you're right to like forget about it and not have anyone bring it up, you know. But what if like you're using a product and like I don't know, you're let's say you're a high school bully, you know, in in you know, some new age uh, 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 2020 fashion. Your high school bully's a nerd, you know, they get they get really uh, big and rich and they basically are like Jeff Bezos, you know, they start their own Amazon and now they're like, now I'm going to share that embarrassing moment. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, it, it, I, I feel like that should be, because I think that's the thing. Like, I think we contextualize privacy in like this, like, like, I mean, like it was said earlier, like we, we contextualize it in this like activist thing and, it's really a normal thing. It's just people don't remember. Yes. Like people don't remember, like there's like tons of reasons to like want privacy other than being like, I don't know, like a sex worker or something like you, you could want privacy just off of the simplest of things. Cause it's, it goes a long way. Like, you know what I mean? Like imagine, imagine too, like these moments, like the embarrassing moments in your life that aren't anything illegal or sketchy or anything can still be such a problem that like, they damage like other parts of your life like i remember i think i was watching law and order or something i usually don't watch those shows but it was just like on a tv at someone's house and there was an episode where one of the lawyers it was was a black lawyer and he um somebody trying to sabotage the case he was working on revealed that he goes to these like drag shows at uh at night and he dresses up in drag and performs songs and he's, like, a completely, like, you know, run-of-the-mill, like, oh, straight, you know, male, blah, blah, blah. It's just, this is, like, the silly thing he does. You know, he goes, hangs out with his friends, they get drunk, and they, they do these, like, silly drag shows. And it's just joking, you know? It's nothing, it, it, it's nothing past that. But it was enough to, like, harm his ability to be on this case because people were going to be biased. And that alone is, like, a, a privacy thing, you know? Like... Simple. He wasn't doing anything he he shouldn't have been doing, you know. But it's like society, society is flawed, and you'll want your privacy just on that alone. And I I think that's yeah. I think I just feel like that's not illustrated well enough with like so many things.
0: No, and I think you know I think it also has to do, and this goes back to our conversation last week about you know, I mean last week we were talking about really serious misogyny, but. The kind of flip side of that is like just the kind of male gaze in our tech world and our tech conversations, because I think women understand the need for privacy on a very like intimate and mundane level. Because there's always men trying to get into women's business. <laughs> and so women understand that, like, privacy is not just a state level or, like, a police level issue that you need to be able to lock your doors, close your windows, you know, make sure no one's... And as I've started paying more attention in the space, I've heard all more and more weird, creepy stories like... The girl that posted on some platform that she gave a guy her phone to put his number in her phone, and while he was holding her phone, he set her to share her location data with him forever, and she only noticed later. Like, that has nothing to do with the police. It has nothing to do with charges of criminality. It's just a little bit of just everyday stalking, you know? and i think i think that's something that i want to be able to share as well i mean i appreciate your thought about the embarrassing moments because that shows the levity of it and it shows that everyone you know, that privacy doesn't have to be such a big deal. I mean, I think that's where I'm at in trying to talk about it. Like, everyone goes home and closes their door and closes their window at nights. And it doesn't mean that you're doing anything, like, crazy in there. It's just, it's comfortable to have some privacy, you know? But I think women, especially queer people, I mean, anyone really in a minoritized identity has been followed, you know, has been watched when they didn't want to be. And I think it speaks to the white male, rich male, you know, dominant, like, framework of all our tech that they just didn't think that would be a problem, didn't expect that to be a problem, because you're not someone, whether it's a woman, whether it's a young person of color, you're not a person that gets followed around in your day-to-day life, you know, and has been threatened by people getting in your business, Um And, you know, there's quite a lot of us now that are in minoritized populations that do know what it's like to have people in our business and are actively looking, you know, for more tools. And I think that's why a lot of these tools and this activism comes from marginalized populations, because they're the ones that feel the brunt of it first, you know, when they're getting trolled, when they're getting doxxed, when they're getting stalked. And... I mean, something I've been talking about for months and months and months with my team is, like, when you design for marginalized people first, this is just a tenet of black feminism. Like, when you design for marginalized groups first, you free everybody, you know, or they don't talk about design. When you organize around marginalized populations first, you free everybody because everyone is caught up in those same systems and... <laughs> That's what we got to do.
3: I-, I learned that through uh, working with my wife on um, these uh, intersectional feminist talks that someone we used to be around quite a bit um, gave. Yeah, there was like a lot of uh, good information I got out of those. So I was just kind of doing it on a whim, but yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was like one of the I think the best lessons. It was it was like sort of like things you you know, you you learn things you already agree with. It's like a weird right, thing we do. Right. You know? But um yeah, it was it was very enlightening from that from this. and honestly it was between that and reading about unintended uh, you know, downsides of certain technology. Like I remember, it was an article. I don't remember. I gotta find all the articles that I've like saved to Pocket. I saved like a million to Pocket, and I start reading them in bulk, and then it's difficult to find them again. But um, there was one where this woman was talking about the importance of like blocking people, you know, being able to block someone and so on. And she had like an, an ex who was like very like abusive. Like I don't think he was like physically, but it was just like everything else, you know, which matters just as much. And She had, you know, she broke up with him far away from this guy. And he realized, like, because she blocked him on so many different platforms, he realized that Google didn't have a block feature in Google Drive, like Google Drive, Docs, anything like that. So he realized where this story
0: is going.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but he realized he could make documents and constantly share them with her. And it would just be like harassed, you know, just constant harassment. So Google, you know, she was constantly, constantly pleading to Google. And eventually it got around to it because an article came out, of course. But um, yeah, it, it was one of those things that made me realize like, oh, wow, I got to watch out for a lot of stuff. Thank you for listening. Our
1: recording ends here. Join us for the next episode.